Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. So a lot of fun Wednesday night classes coming up, and uh, hopefully you will pay attention and take advantage. Um, always happy to help Jason spread the good word about his disciple class, which I believe starts this coming Wednesday. Um, that is a big deal. And it is, if you've ever wondered, well, how do they read the Bible? Because it seems a little different there at OKC First. How do they read the Bible? This class uh, will tell you how we read the Bible. And by the way, it's not new. We didn't invent this. I mean, we are narrative folks around here. And that's the way that he will present scripture. In addition, there's another class coming up by one of our favorite authors, a guy by the name of Richard Beck. And he has written another great book about magic eels. <laughs> and that is actually going to be a combined effort. It'll start later on in the semester, a combined effort between us and 8th Street Church. And we will meet here and, and share that, that discussion with them. It's going to be really good. There's another class coming up called uh, OKC First 101. And uh, Zach and Britt are going to teach that class. And in OKC First 101, they actually go through things like, here's how to go to church at Oklahoma City First Church, or here's how to listen to a sermon at Oklahoma City First Church. And I got to tell you, I mean, it matters. It matters. Because, and today's passage will be a, a pretty clear indicator of it, I, I, think, I think we don't necessarily read Scripture or receive Scripture or do faith in the exact same ways that maybe you have seen it, read it, heard it, or I have read it, seen it, heard it before. There is a song that, that may still be near and dear to you. Uh, it is entitled, Have Thine Own Way. Anybody ever heard that one? It's a good one. And I want, hear me, some of you are afraid, is he going to cut that out of the, I'm not. I want us to keep that one. I want us to hang on to that song. Here are the lines. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. Why I, while I am waiting, yield it and still. Hear me. We need to keep that song. It, it's a good one. We need to keep it. There are times, though, and today's scripture be one of those, where we have to recognize that it is not exclusively about the I. It's not just about me. In fact, today's passage of scripture will not be properly heard if your faith is individualistic. Now, is it always personal? It's always personal. It, it, faith is always something that we participate in as individuals, but that doesn't mean it's individualistic. You see the difference? There are some places that might leave you with the impression uh, that the only thing that really matters is your behavior modification that qualifies you for the hereafter. And to lean so heavily into that mindset 
that everything else would then be excluded would be to exclude roughly about 92% of all of Scripture. Most Scripture, and again, you'll see it most pointedly today, most Scripture is aimed at us more than it's aimed at me. It's aimed at us and how we will be the body of Christ as opposed to just you or just me and the individual decisions that we will make relative to our good behavior or bad behavior that secures a place in God's eternity, at least it does for me. This is about us. In fact, if we were to revamp that song for today, it would say, thou art the potter, we are the clay. We are the clay. How is it that God is shaping a people? How is it that God is shaping a people, and more importantly, how is it that God is shaping a people for all the people? Does everybody remember that we are a people who will always have a calling? And our calling, to way oversimplify, is this, that God would somehow work in and through us so that we might be able to embody the very presence of God and be a benefit to all the people. And all God's people said, okay, I'm telling you. If you only live for the hereafter parts, then you are missing what might be the best parts, the here and now parts that have to do the corporate parts of our faith. And, and I need a hearty amen here, it is finally football season. Yes. Right? Here's another way that I can kind of explain this. Now, you need to take care of, if you're going to be on the football team, right? If you're going to be on the team, you need to take care of your own body, and a lot of that is individual work. But you have to understand that the work that you do as an individual, whether it's on your own fitness level or even your own skills that you're trying to develop as an individual football player, those things only make sense against the larger backdrop of being a good football team. Right? And even then, we sometimes have the capacity to get it wrong. Now, I found this little video, and I love it, and I've got it looped on here so you can see it several times. I want you to pay particular attention to the reaction of the coach of this little team. Come on, guys. Through the banner. Wait, no, this way. <laughs> Through the side, and they all kind of just crash into each other. I mean, look at this. Like, they didn't know which way to go. The coach was telling them to run through the paper. I mean... Technically they did, but like, that's not really how you do it. Like some of them got it right. They took so. a scenic route to get to that bag. <laughs> I love it. That's like, I wonder if they won the game after this. That like. is the big question. But yeah, they definitely took a scenic route to get through that paper. <laughs> you work all week. You run the plays. You teach these guys. You teach these, these kids the names of the plays, the names of the formations and all that. And you're just so amped up for the beginning of the season. You're there for the big game. And you forgot to tell them which way to run through the banner. <laughs> so they mess up the whole thing. Sometimes the team gets it wrong. Sometimes the team gets it wrong. And in the book of Jeremiah, what you have is the team getting it wrong. So we have to use our, our sense of hearing that would allow us to hear this, not as being aimed at me, but as being aimed at all of us who would be the people of God. And we will learn, we will learn today, as we listen to Jeremiah go on and on, where that team was concerned, 
the older people of God, the people of Judah in particular. Okay, Jeremiah. We should know this about, we're going to spend a few weeks here with, with Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a southern kingdom prophet. He prophesied during uh, the long and prolonged uh, Babylonian capt, uh, capture and exile. I mean, he, it took about 10 years plus for, for Jerusalem and all of Judah to finally fall. And Jeremiah was there the entire time saying, hey, this is happening and this is going to happen. And so as you could expect, Jeremiah was very unpopular with the people of God. Very unpopular. Especially unpopular with people who would understand themselves as the guardians of the status quo. So Jeremiah started to look like an outcast. People dreaded to see him coming. People dreaded his lessons and his sermons. He was understood as the weeping prophet, the weeping prophet. He did most of his weeping over Jerusalem. And typically, it was because they weren't living up to their own name. Their, their name actually means when unfolded city of peace, the right kind of peace, the city of Shalom. But they weren't living up to that moniker of the city of peace. And so not only is, is Jeremiah, again, speaking for God, disappointed in them, but Jeremiah knows the consequences, the consequences when the people of God don't live up to the label, the moniker of the people of God. There are consequences to be suffered, yes, by the people, but also for all the people around the people. Jeremiah actually says at one point, you guys aren't listening to me. And so you guys aren't listening to God. You guys are not listening at all because if you were listening, you could hear that the Babylonians are right now, even though you're saying, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. But if you were really listening, you could hear as the Babylonians are literally building ramps to the top of our walls so that they can come over the top of our walls. And they were. <laughs> but they would say things to him like, how dare you bring us this bad news? How dare you continue to critique us? And that's why he was mistreated, thrown into a pit. We think probably killed, but we don't know that for sure. In fact, there is some mystery surrounding his death. There are some people who will say, no, Jeremiah never died, which was super spooky if he's out there somewhere <laughs> still. But know this. Know this. He was disliked. The people of God dreaded to see him or hear him coming. It's because he was quick to say, as the mouthpiece of God, we are getting it wrong. We are in harm's way. So as I looked at this text this week, again, with the help of Dr. Tashton, I need to be honest, the text reaches back a little farther than I wish it did if I was going to talk openly and honestly about the context. And it reaches forward a little farther than I wish it did because it really complicates things <laughs> for me today. The immediate context of Jeremiah 18, 1, 2, 3 was an ignored lesson and a warning about the people's habit of disregarding the Sabbath. All right. When I uh, traveled not too long ago overseas to speak to this this bunch of beautiful Irish folks in, in Ireland, I was assigned a topic. And so for a long time prior to, I was studying the Sabbath, Sabbath theology and all that kind of stuff. And I, I need to tell you, I hope it's okay, I'm, I'm 25 years removed from my master's degree and I have learned so much, you guys, <laughs> so much. I did not realize the extent to which 
Sabbath theology is supposed to invade and pervade everything that we do and everything that we, we say and believe as the people of God. I, I did not realize how often Sabbath warnings pop up in Scripture. I did not realize, I did not realize the devastating consequences of finally turning one's back, our back, on Sabbath. And so, I'm not going to do a series on it, not currently, but it's inevitably, because now I have an eye for it, it's going to pop up all the time. They had turned their backs on the Sabbath commandment. They had turned their backs on that moment, that God-given moment to sit down and really sit with this fact that goes something like this, that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. Yeah, the Sabbath commandment says, stop everything. (laughs) Stop and sit with this thought. But the people couldn't stop. The people wouldn't stop, not even for a minute, to remember the goodness and the graciousness of God. They couldn't do it. And so, in the process of not stopping, they ended up chasing other gods. They always, these these folks in Judah, always chose the rat races over rest. Jeremiah has a pretty crude symbol that he uses to describe them, a pretty crude uh, example. He says, you're like a donkey always looking for a partner, always looking for a partner who is looking so constantly for a partner that the donkey's actually spinning in its place. Jeremiah 17, verse 21. Thus says the Lord, for the sake of your lives, take care that you do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. Now hear the lament in Jeremiah's voice, which actually should be understood as the lament in God's voice. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear. They stiffened their necks and would not hear or receive instruction. But if you people will listen to me, says the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of the city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall be inhabited forever. But if you do not listen to me, to keep the Sabbath day holy and to carry in no burden through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates. It shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. I'm telling you, very few things in Scripture seem to bother God more than ignoring the Sabbath commandment. I don't think it's a stretch to say that God is angry, frustrated, and at the same time worried for God's people and still hopeful. And still hopeful. But Jeremiah, it seems like the burden always fell on Jeremiah to deliver this message. And so Jeremiah finds himself in need of a little bit of encouragement and perspective. And now we understand how these verses fit. Okay? The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come. I'm going to show you something. Go find the local potter. Go down to the potter's house 
and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at the wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled. It, something was wrong with it. It was spoiled in the potter's hand. And so he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Okay, now I have included this, and you'll see it a couple times during uh, the sermon today. I've included this little loop. Uh, what I want you to see is how often it just doesn't work. And, and when it doesn't work, the skilled potter collapses it, crashes it, crushes it, and starts over. What he doesn't do is go get new clay. Everybody with me? Now, what he doesn't do is, now, um, now, now maybe there's a time when <laughs> this particular potter does, but what we're seeing here is that the potter figures out a way to take what was spoiled, author's word, to take what was spoiled, rework it, perhaps, you know, shift it back to its original <laughs> position and start over again. God is saying to Jeremiah, God is hoping that Jeremiah will then say to the people, yep, you are crackpots. <laughs> yep, you're spoilt, as they say in some places in the country. Yep, but my mind about you is still made up. And the news is good. Thou art the potter, we are the clay. Thou art the potter, they were the clay back in Jeremiah 18. But friends, thou art the potter, we are the clay. And I don't just mean OKC first, I do mean OKC first. But I mean the church capital C. Maybe most especially here in America when I'm, when I'm concerned that we're spoiled. Spoiled. Thou art the potter, we are the clay. Verse seven. At one moment, God says, I may declare to concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. This sounds familiar. If you know anything about the book of Jeremiah, this is a part of God's calling of Jeremiah. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, no, this can blow your mind. It's right here in the Bible, ready? But if that nation concerning which I, which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, but if it does evil in my sight, not, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I intended to do to it. Whoa. That, that is big stuff. Wait a minute, John. You said God's mind. You say every week God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. You bet. And as long as I'm here, you're going to hear that every week. But that can't mean that we don't have a part to play in the health of what happens next. It may be that it is a part of God's ongoing and eternal commitment to us, God having made up God's mind about us, that we might need to endure something like that.
Now therefore say to the people of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and anybody else who needs to hear it, thus says the Lord, look, I am a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. It matters what you do. It matters what you say. It, it matters if you are not disagreeing Christianly. It matters how you post, God help us. It, it matters how you do business. It matters how we are understood to be the people a familial relationship. It matters. All of this matters. And when the people of God struggle to be the people of God, God has decisions to make. Now, that decision won't be whether or not God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. No, that's, that is always going to be true. But that does not ever mean that there won't be consequences for the decisions that we make as we exercise our freedom. So, something that I read, that I've written this week, and I don't want to screw it up, so I'm going to read it to you. This doesn't sound like God's mind is made up. It doesn't sound like good news. But this is where some folks around here have gotten tripped up. God's mind, where God's hopes are concerned for us, that is a divine and blessed certainty. I would even call it blessed assurance. God knows how God feels about us, and that news is always going to be and eternally good. That said, God doesn't force God's goodness or grace on us. It wouldn't be grace at that point, would it? We have the certainty of God's love and God's hope for us, but we, each of us and all of us, at some point must receive it and respond to it. The young man may have made up his mind about the young woman. He wants them to be together forever, so he proposes, and she so appreciates and celebrates the offer, but never responds in any way. His love for her never changes, but they aren't married until she responds. The people of Jerusalem can rest assured God's love for them is secure forever. That is not the question, but there is a question. The question is, Will they say yes? Will they receive it? Spoiled clay, cracked pots. God knows that because of their stubbornness and rebellion, that heartache and shattering judgment is on the way because that's how creation has been created. This clay seems to have a mind of its own, right? <laughs> and that mind is hostile to God and God's designs as the potter, shattering, dead ahead. But it doesn't have to be that way. God does not wish to be done with them, but there are times that we choose to be done with God, the potter. And this isn't the only time in Scripture that God offers to change or changes God's mind and the future prospects of the people doomed to destruction, right? You know this, right? The people of Nineveh change. And so God relents so much so that Jonah's disappointed as he gets to see his enemies all burned up. Remember that? God has been known to appreciate the repentance of the people and change their future prospects. The change in Scripture is almost always from harsh to good. God, because God's love is secure, always holds out hope that we'll repent, literally turn around and choose life and hope and rest as opposed to rat races, death and destruction. 
God holds out hope that the clay will finally allow for the proper shaping. God doesn't rush out to get new clay. New clay. This is what it says in Exodus 34, 6. And it's right. This is after the people have failed miserably. But Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Even so, even so, there are some, and you may know them, who still have been known to turn away. I mean, Judah did. But they say, it's of no use. We will follow our own plans. This is the people of God speaking. We will follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil will. And friends, they were demolished. It wasn't because God changed God's mind about them. It was because they changed their minds about God. read this from a guy this week. It's really good. Patrick Miller says, the tragedy of Judah's story is nowhere more poignantly set out than in his people's response to these words. It is not altogether clear whether verse 12 is an act of defiance, the stubbornness that has been attested again and again, or whether it's a response of despair, the confession of a people that has gone too far to turn back. Have you ever seen that? That is heartbreaking. I have. I've seen that. Where are we at, fellow clay people? <laughs> Who are we? Where are we? Reading more from Patrick Miller. That said, the process of judgment may itself be the remolding of the spoiled clay. You hear that? The pot will not work in its present shape. So the potter molds it back into a lump of clay and begins to work afresh with it, just as the dirty dish will not work until it's clean. The out-of-plumb wall will not hold up the building until it's taken down and rebuilt. And the metal will not, be of a value, will not be of value until it is melted down and refined of its impurities. So also the pot will not be what it's meant to be or to do. Uh, will not, is not, okay, so also the pot will not be what it's meant to be or do what it's meant to do in the eyes of the potter until it's been returned to a lump of clay and molded afresh. This is at least one significant dimension of the judgment work of God, the judging work of God as we encounter it in Israel's history. God is reshaping a blemished clay vessel so that it is right in God's eyes. Now remember, this whole thing started with an admonition about Sabbath, right? I'm going to detour and come back to that. And this is firmly in the meddling category right here. I'm sorry, all right? But earlier this week, many were left with the impression that anxiety and depression might be the evidence of demon possession or oppression. Don't take that medication or go to a therapist. Just claim your faith and confess your sins. Friends, fellow Wesleyans, that is not what we believe. If you twist your ankle, go see the doctor, amen? Pray on the way and throughout your rehab, but know that the healing of God takes a variety of forms, and that would include medical science. Same with depression and anxiety 
and the other mental and emotional challenges to our health? Listen, pray and repent and confess if you need to, and you might need to. And please go see the professionals and follow the directions. These people and these medications even, these strategies, these therapeutic strategies can be for you the tangible expression of God's provision for hope and healing. And yet, there very well may be times when in our stubborn disobedience and our rebellion against the call of God to pattern our lives in response to grace, in our openly defiant decisions to enter the rat races and pursue definitions of success that leave us poorer in spirit, decisions that slowly erode our memories of grace and truth, decisions that demonstrate that our investments, not in health, our own or the people around us, our investments in unhealth, in destruction, in the inevitable judgment of God, Listen, it doesn't have to be that way, but so often it is that way, and perhaps those people do have something to confess. Because those kinds of rebellions leave marks as well. And perhaps you haven't, perhaps we haven't patterned our lives in ways that allow for us to do what God believes to be absolutely crucial where life with God and living out the calling of God is concerned, and that thing is Sabbath. There have to be times for us, for those of us who have any interest or desire to follow God or be experienced as the people of God, there have to be times for us who are going to live out a beautiful alternative There have to be times for us to stop and bask in this truth that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. Friends, we have got to drink that in as often as we can. We need to drink that in so so often that it becomes a part of who we are. It needs to seep into our pores. We need to allow it to alter our perspectives, our vision, our very DNA. Listen, go to work but go with this blessed assurance. Live your life, love your loves, enter into situations of brokenness and even conflict, having basked in this truth so pivotal, so central to all of life that God's mind about us is made up, about them is made up, about you is made up, and the news is good. It's grace, y'all. You didn't earn it, but you do get it. And you can refuse it. Let's be clear about this. We have the capacity to refuse the grace of God. (laughs) Again, each of us has the capacity and all of us working together have that capacity to refuse the grace of God. The church with the capital C can refuse the grace of God. We can make a bad habit of refusing God's offer of grace and truth and rest. We can refuse our calling to partner with God to restore and renew lives and families and neighborhoods and all of life. We can do it. We can insist on destruction. And God will honor that decision and grieve as God walks with us all the way to the moments of destruction. And here's why God will grieve. God will grieve because God's mind about us is made up. 
and the news is good. An eternal God will grieve our no's, but hold out hope for our yeses. Sabbath is not the pastor's way of pointing at you to make sure that you have better attendance at church. It's not supposed to be that way. Now, without apology, it should end up that way, that you would more regularly come where we light the campfire every week in the hopes that we can stay warm, that warmth being understood as the constant reminder that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good because, friends, when you and I are constantly aware and then finally constantly convicted of that truth, you and I, we live differently. And Sabbath is how we are more and more regularly reminded. I, I want this to be a restful place for us. I want it to be a restful place for me. I want this to be a place where on a regular basis, we will do things as a part of our liturgical tradition, but we'll also do things throughout the rest of the week that are the constant reminders that we live in response to grace, not in the breathless pursuit of God's favor. We live in response to grace. And if you're not living in response to grace, that's not yet the life that God dreams for you. The people of God, when we, when we live in response to grace, we demonstrate for the rest of the planet, anyone who bothers to watch, we demonstrate for the rest of the world what life is supposed to look like, what God dreams for life to look like. A grateful non-anxious response to the God whose mind about us is made up is, whose mind about us is made up and the news is good, a God who gives good gifts, a God who is trustworthy, reliable. Listen, what, what, hear me out, ready? Y'all, what if God's reliable? What if God is absolutely trustworthy? What if some of the anxiety that you feel that may be keeping you up at night. What if it doesn't have to be that way? You all, what if in Christ we see the fullest expression of the truth of God? What if we so regularly reminded one another of God's trustworthiness as seen in the face of Christ? What if we so regularly reminded one another of this grace that we were to then at some point be so convicted that it actually changes the way we go to work? I'll tell you what it would be. You might just be odd and awkward in the world as God intends it. If you're helping us today, this is what we do each week. If you're visiting today, each week we gather around this table because 
in my estimation, in the estimation of our gathered up tradition, here, here, we have the most tangible expression of the truth that we have just touched on today. By the way, that truth is also another way to understand that God's mind about us is made up and the news is good. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Simple pieces of bread and sips from this cup, and yet somehow in your hands, God, they do something better and something more. Bless these elements, God, and somehow give us the capacity, grant us the courage and the capacity and the imagination to take another full step or half a step or an inch's worth of a step forward toward that moment when we can live in the full confidence that your mind about us is made up and the news is good. Relieve us as we participate in this meal at least a little bit, God. Relieve us of this felt deep need to chase after other gods. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet as you are dismissed by Rose. Exit your pew to the left, your left, and come forward with your hands cupped. Now, this is an invitation. If you'd prefer not to participate, that is perfectly fine. All are invited, but none are compelled. But if you do decide to take me up, take us up on this invitation, then if you would come forward with your hands cupped, as you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that person will take a piece of that bread, place it into your open cupped hands because it's grace, everybody. You can't steal this, you can't buy it, you can't snatch it, you, you just have to receive it because that's what grace is. As that piece of bread is placed in your hands, the person will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. As soon as you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray. Now, you have some options. If you decide to go one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer. Now, it could be physical healing that you're seeking, but it might be emotional, mental. This doesn't mean that you don't go to the doctor. <laughs> it means that you understand all of these things to be within the purview of the God who heals. So if you wanna go there, someone will meet you there, anoint you with oil and pray that prayer. Or you can come to one of these front kneeling benches and, and we won't actually assume anything except that you are just like us and in need of the touch of God. And so at some point, I will come by or somebody will just to symbolize for you the touch of God and that you are not alone because you're not. You can certainly circle right back around and pray at your own seat, but I hope you will pray. I hope you will pray. Now, if you prefer something a little less um, public than this, <laughs> if you're not yet ready, and if you'd like something that's prepackaged, you'd like to participate, but you'd like something prepackaged, the people who are going to dismiss you by row, they are carrying prepackaged elements, and I will have already prayed, and I will do the liturgy here in just a second. So as soon as you get those elements, it works just the same. You can go ahead and take and eat and drink. You might want to make a special trip, though, down here and dip your fingers under this water 
because this is where I'm reminded on a regular basis, weekly basis, that I belong to the larger us. I'm reminded of the moment of my baptism. It was on the night that he's betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember, remember me, says Jesus. The same way later he took, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me, says Jesus. So now, all around the sanctuary, if you would, as you are dismissed, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God. pray a few words of confession before turning it over to Jason for prayers of intercession and the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, hear us as we confess. 
that perhaps we have a little bit more in common with the ancient people of Judah than we would like to admit. We too find ourselves allergic to the bad news. <laughs> we too find ourselves willing to defend, at times at least, the status quo. We confess sometimes, God, that you're a difficult God to follow and that there are many other options that seem to be available. Wealth, power, and so many others. And so in this moment, God, we stop to confess that we don't often enough bask in this deep truth that your mind about us is made up and the news is good. And so now in the silence, would you pray your own prayer of confession? turn it over to Jason. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit keep us in eternal life. And as we move to these moments of intercessory prayer, you can take a posture of prayer that's just whatever's most comfortable for you. Some of you may want to join us at these altars in these spaces. If you need a particular touch from God, some of you may would be kneeling at home at your couch. Others can kneel in your pew or just be in the spaces which you are. Would you please join with me in prayer? And so, God, as we continue in these moments, we ask for your blessing and your healing. We also, God, have moments of thanksgiving and praise. And so, God, we ask that you would continue to take care of Linda Weaver as she recovers from successful surgery this week. God, we give you thanks and praise for that, but ask God you would keep her free from cancer and God, bring her healing and strength. God, we're thankful that Ashley Wise had a successful hip surgery this last week, but God, we ask that you would be with her in recovery, give her strength and patience, be with her family and be with Dexter and the girls as they love and care for Ashley. God, I, we ask that you would continue to do a good work in Scott Peterson. God, would you heal him of the cancer in his body? God, we give you thanks and praise for the ways in which Diane Dawkins is back teaching. And God, we ask that you would continue to bring her health and strength. We pray for all who have experienced loss. And God, we ask that you would come alongside of the Emmerich family and the loss of Susan's sister. And a note for our Zambia partnership. Many of you who have been to Zambia know our relationship with this wonderful country in Africa. Pastor Smoke Chewe. Let us know this week that his son-in-law passed away, leaving behind his wife and baby. And so, God, we ask that you be with Pastor Smoke and his daughter in their loss. God, we ask that you would come alongside the all who are incarcerated and their victims. I've already had a chance to wink at my friend Matthew Larson and his court date on Wednesday. God, would you take care of Matthew this week? give him strength, peace, healing, good news. God, we 
ask that you'd be with all who are brokenhearted, those who have been disappointed this week or let down, that your love and your grace would surround them. God, we pray for a couple of partners in ministry. God, this morning we want to pray for Impact Church and Pastor House, that God, you would come alongside this wonderful partner in ministry with us today and in the days to come. God, would you mold us and shape us just like a potter in some of the ways this week by this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, and it should be on the screen in front of you, whether you're here or at home. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.